You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about the Ambassador Bridge and the Detroit to Windsor Tunnel. Uh, these are two incredible uh, construction efforts that we're going to explore in detail. Um, this episode is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offers 15 historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure. I'm Linda Shepard, and with me today is my co-host, Ed Brohart. Hey, Ed. Hi, Linda. How you doing? I'm good. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about the bridge and tunnel here. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, they're two two iconic pieces of Detroit architecture and things that um, all of us have grown up with. They really are. And once again, Ed, you know, I am struck by how every podcast we do about Detroit's history is seems to be rooted in the Roaring Twenties. I mean, yes. That, what that was, is the uh, that's the decade that's that the is, moving and shaking decade that keeps coming up. It's like everything happened in the Roaring Twenties, and I know this is Comeback City, and you know, right now we're in 2018. <laughs> I, I don't think we can hope to, you know, to challenge that decade in any way. What do you? No, think? No, it would almost be impossible. I mean, the the incredible amount of growth. And for particularly uh, industrial centers like Detroit, I don't think it could ever ever be replicated again. You know, it, you know the the wealth that was the big deal, and you know that's basically, you know, related to the car, the automobile culture. Is that do you, do mm-hmm. you agree with that, Henry yeah, Ford? Yeah, automobiles, um, all of the. All of the industry of modernity, like, you know, um, uh, airplanes, automobiles, um, train travel, all of that um, allowed, you know, America was on the move, and um, there was tremendous money to be made, and Detroit, uh, being a manufacturing center, became a, kind of a magnet for all of these very smart people. Um, who could figure out how to do this stuff and realize how to make a great deal of money from it. And, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, we're in Comeback City right now and Detroit is going undergoing this great revitalization and rebirth and everything like that. I mean, maybe if, say, we had gotten the Amazon headquarters, you know, the second one, this, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, you know, it's it's still just mind boggling how much happened in Detroit in the 1920s. Yes, it is. Um, uh, it's uh, on every front, you know, uh, and and a lot of it I think had to do with the uh, incredible diverse populations that moved to the city and uh, the interest in um, just the need for goods and uh, increased interest in the arts. 
But we see that on almost every front, um, not just in manufacturing, but in entertainment, uh, in architecture, in uh, things that uh, have lasting beauty. I mean, it's, it, it really is the decade where uh, Detroit went through such incredible changes. It really did. So let's start with the Ambassador Bridge, which um, okay. is very beautiful, I think. It's just lovely. And it's a suspension bridge, which is mm-hmm. kind of my favorite kind of bridge. <laughs> you know, I well, mean, it's so delicate, you know, they they're, are. they're so uh, geometric. And um, for something that's that huge and that massive, there's also kind of a, uh, a delicate quality to and, suspension and beauty. bridges because you see them from far away and it's like looking at a spider web, you know? It really is. They're very beautiful. And this is a beautiful one. And, you know, so for people that don't realize it, it's the international bridge that connects the cities of Detroit and Windsor. And um, it was completed in 1929. Right. You know, um, due mainly to the efforts of a man named Joseph Bauer. Right. A visionary, a total visionary. He was. And um, he, he, he was a Detroiter, right? I mean, he, he was a Detroit businessman, is that correct? Yes. He was born in Detroit. Um, he did not have a formal education. Um, the information that I have found on him was um, he left school after the fifth grade, when his father died, went to work at the age of 10. And um, he held three jobs simultaneously as a boy. He was an office boy for ex-circuit court judge William Lillibridge. Uh, and he was the porter and sales clerk in a sporting goods store in the afternoon and a signal officer for the Detroit Police Department until 1 a.m. Wow. <laughs> we're college. I know. And uh, on top of that, he read law under the judge and passed the bar examination without a formal education. Oh, my gosh. I know. So um, at the age of 19, he was hired by the Detroit Trust Company. And by 1924, the year he actually undertook the Ambassador Bridge Project, he was vice president of J.P. Morgan's New York Trust Company. So we kind of owe a lot to Joseph Bauer here for our bridge. Right. Yeah. And I hear I I read a little account of where he and someone else, um, um, another banker, uh, kind of hatched the whole idea for the bank. They they pitched it all. And it was actually in New York City (laughs) with, you know, looking out on uh, on Wall Street and and all the traffic and everything, but that's where they came up with the whole idea of this uh, this massive span over the Detroit Detroit River and worked out the details. So, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and I guess it actually remains the largest international suspension bridge in the world. Yes, it is, and it was the largest at when it was built. It was the largest suspension bridge in. Um, the world. Uh, and of course, this was the age when 
records rose and fall very uh, very quickly. But two years later, the George Washington Bridge over the Hudson in New York uh, supplanted it in length. But up until that point, it was the largest, the longest. Yeah. And uh, it still is the longest international bridge. Right. Without a doubt. Right. 10,000 vehicles traverse the bridge every weekday. And it's one of North yeah, America's busiest international border crossings. Yeah, just wrap your head around that. Of course, if you've been uh, over the bridge in High Peak, time, that doesn't sound unrealistic, you know? Absolutely. It's like you're looking at 10,000 vehicles right in front of you. Yeah. Because it, it can be pretty busy. A quarter of all trade between the U.S. and Canada passes through that border crossing. Right. So... It's a very important bridge. So it was. Yeah. So, you know, um the whole bridge proposal came after an original proposal to build a railway tunnel between, you know, under the river or some kind of a tunnel that connected Canada and the United States. And that really didn't happen in Detroit, but it happened in Port Huron. Right, right. The Sarnia-Port Huron tunnel, right? So, yeah. and But still, you know, Bauer wanted, you know, transportation across the Detroit River. I mean, up until that point, um you know, it was ferries, it was boats, but as we've both seen many times, the Detroit River ice is over, you get huge big blocks of ice, and it's very cold in Michigan and Canada, and that's a big problem. Yeah, that, that, you have to have something reliable, and uh, the, the current, the, uh, the ice accumulation made that impossible. Now, there had been, um, there had been proposals way back in the 19th century for bridges, but none of them. Of course, they didn't have the um, they didn't have the uh, mechanical ability to build something like a suspension bridge, and so um, none of the bridges were high enough, and they would re- interfere with boat traffic, which we have to remember uh, back in the 19th century at high masts. So um, there were, that was always the going to be a ships. problem with the bridge. Yeah, the tall ships. Yeah, right. So, yeah, and it's pretty high. It can handle it. It's, um, you know, it's a 1,850-foot center span um, will accommodate some pretty tall ships. Right. And I believe there was a, uh, a railroad bridge that was proposed. Um, I forget who was the person who designed it. I know it wound up having folly <laughs> added to his his bridge, but uh, the problem with it, it was abandoned because it wasn't quite high enough. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't accommodate the highest ships, and uh, it had a tremendously long approach. It was going to be a railroad bridge, and uh, it had like one mile needed on each side for an approach, so it was going to take up massive amounts of, of real estate. Um, and so that was, that was abandoned, but yeah, this, this, uh, s- certainly 
met a need. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I found some uh, information about the kind of wire cables that were used on this bridge. Um, okay. On the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, the wire cables were made of cold, drawn steel wire. Uh, and they, you know, were working good for 50 years. And mm-hmm. they were roven strand by strand into 37 component cables. Um, but uh, this new bridge um, was going to utilize a new uh, technology, heat-treated wire cables. Heat-treated, yeah. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. But um, I think this uh, ultimately did not work out. Um, you know, an alarming number of broken wires were found and... Uh, you know, that, that plan was scrapped. And so they went back to the, uh, coal drawn steel wire cables. So, yeah. Um, you know, and so when it was built, I mean, it was a really exciting time. You know, it was, like I said, it was the roaring twenties. A lot of things were going on. Uh, when it was completed, I mean, this was the age of kind of stunts. A plane would fly under it. A man mm-hmm. parachuted mm-hmm. off of it. A man crossed it walking backwards. Another right. man pushed a friend across it in a wheelbarrow. And a girl toe-danced her way across it. And couples would marry at its international boundary line. Yeah. And I don't know what the statistics are on um, suicides off the bridge. I'm sure there have been some, but I don't imagine they want to publish them simply because they don't want, you know, copycat things. So, but um, yeah, it's uh, it, it it certainly catches the imagination, and it's something that is just so easy to see. If you're on the Detroit River, the first thing you see is the bridge, and if you go down the river. Uh, either on a pleasure craft or, for instance, going on the iconic Pablo boat, you go under the bridge. And, uh, of course, as kids, we always used to say, oh, is the bri- is the boat going to clear the bridge, you know? Right. Because you don't have that sense of perspective. And, of course, you <laughs> clear it with great room to spare. But, uh, yeah, going under the bridge was always a, a big thing. And the, and the Pablo boat would toot its horn when you went dead. So. I know. Those were the days of the Bobolo boat. I know. I traveled over the bridge recently, and it's so beautiful. It's so pretty. And the view from the bridge of the Detroit River, the water, both, you know, uh, Windsor and Detroit are so pretty. You know, I I think it's, you know, I'm used to taking the tunnel because the the tunnel is more uh, easily accessed from Detroit from downtown Detroit. It's in kind of a better mm-hmm. location, but the Ambassador Bridge has it all over the tunnel for beauty. That's for sure. Yeah, well, there's something to see besides tile walls. <laughs> I know. So that's, that yeah, tunnel is no, a little scary. It, it is. It's it's lovely, and one thing we should note is that it's, um, you know, for years and years and years, it was painted black. And uh, there was, you know, some deterioration and stuff. There maybe was rust and things. But then, in recent years, it's been repainted teal. Now, that is a great color, and it's a very Art Deco color. 
So um, we have our Art Deco bridge painted teal, and uh, that's lovely. Did you notice the color? I did. I did. You know, yeah. it just makes it even more beautiful. Right. Sure. It looks like a uh, a wonderful 1920s postcard. It really um, does. Here's a here's here's an interesting factoid uh, that relates to a name that comes up so many times in our podcast because we do uh, love the work of this person. Our architect, uh, our Detroit architect, Wirt Rowland, had a hand in um, building the bridge, and um, what he and and for those that who don't remember, Wirt Rowland is the um, the architect of iconic buildings like the Guardian, the Buell, um, the... The Shinola many, building. Uh, uh, y- yes, the, the Shinola Hotel, the many, many ho- uh, uh, major buildings at University of Michigan. He's our favorite uh, just architect. about every uh, Michigan Bell uh, 1920s building built. Um, and, of course, he, he really almost perfected uh, certain elements of the Art Deco style that became, you know, used internationally. Um, and he was assigned with doing the the giant uh, concrete uh, piers uh, and buttresses that, you know, anchored each end. Um, and naturally, he, he was going to do it with style. And they had to serve a very important mechanical function because... They had to go like 105 feet down to the bedrock to be able to anchor the huge cables that kept the whole bridge up on either end. And um, so he put in um, these things with stepped arches and his signature um, angled arches (laughs) underneath the span. Um, And, you know, it's something you would not find in any other bridge construction. There still are examples that where you can see it at each end, and two of the um, pillars that he put under the approach at Fort Street are still there. And if you stop and look at them, they're they're very Art Deco and they're very Wirt Rowland. So it, that's kind of a, a, he, a cool thing. He is a master of form and function. Mm-hmm. Yes. Someone who, who can make something very practical that actually really works really well. And is still beautiful. Mm-hmm. That is a rare yeah. ability. Yes, it is. He also did the, um, I think he did the, like, the customs stations at each end. But those have been replaced, you know, probably a couple times since the build, uh, since it was built. And I don't have any idea what the originals looks like, looked like. If they were in the same kind of Art Deco style, I would say, boy, that would be a great thing to be able to have again. But... I don't think that's the case. Probably not the attention to detail that, you know, Roland gave everything that he mm-hmm. um, right. designed. So, you know, um, like I said, I was over the bridge recently, and it is very beautiful. Um, I was a little uh, disappointed to learn that, you know, really, there is uh, no ability for pedestrians or bicyclers to go over that bridge. Um, no, and that was since nine eleven. Um, you could it it did have uh, a path on I think the the southwest side, um, 
before that, but I think that was that happened with uh, security concerns. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wasn't sure whether that was still in effect, but you, but uh, apparently it is. Apparently it there is. So no, no walking across the bridge or no. no biking across. But you know the um, the future holds a new bridge for Detroit and Windsor. Yeah, yeah, and that will definitely be uh, more bike and um, pedestrian friendly. Because they have a whole uh, large designated biking and pedestrian lane plan for that, the Gordy Howe Bridge. Yeah, which will be really amazing. Uh, yeah. I think twenty twenty four that bridge is supposed to be completed and open. So that's, that's something right. to look forward to. Yeah, you know, let's still talk a little bit more about Joseph Bauer. I mean, whose family um, had control of the bridge for decades. Yeah. I mean, you know, that bridge was always privately owned, right? Right. And, it, and it's unique in that regard. Um, for an international for an bridge. international bridge to be privately owned. I mean, you think of it and um, you think, well, geez, what could go wrong? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, it's something that you wouldn't imagine that uh, nations would be comfortable with having private, uh, a privately owned anything that was um, a major and necessary link um, for national security, you know, being in the hands of private ownership. But uh, that's been the case here. And certainly with, uh, with the Bauer family, it had worked out just fine. Um, now, with their predecessors... I mean, with their uh, their ne- the next owners, the Maroons, um, that hasn't always been the case, and there's been concerns about that. So, so the Bauer family um, kept ownership of the bridge until the 1960s, or was it the 70s? Was it the, oh, I think it was 1970s. I think I think uh, they they put it up on the New York Stock Exchange in 1979. 79, right. <clears throat> And Manny Maroon um, was an ex- is an expert on international trade and transportation, and he and his family um, have been the owners of the bridge. And right, he's he's a uh, he was an Arab kid, as he describes himself from Windsor, who um, uh, grew up like working at his uncle's gas station and, and, uh, but he got into the trucking business, the cartage business and, um, hauling and, uh, moved to Detroit. I presume he's uh, an American citizen now. And, um, yeah. And, and so the, it was very interested in, um, in, acquiring something that was going to enhance his business. And his business was moving and shipping goods back and forth. So um, a bridge was a natural between the, the, the two nations. So, yeah. Right. But it hasn't, but it's been, but it hasn't always been easy. It's been rocky with, uh, with Matty Maroon and his family. Um, but in, and particularly um, difficult with the Canadian government. He and he and uh, the Canadian government have had a, a, a mutual antagonism uh, 
over the years, which has wound up with numerous um, numerous court battles and and uh, disagreements on um, how the bridge should be handled and whether, in fact, it should be you know allowed to be private at all. Yeah, right. So. Okay, so we've got, you know, something to look forward to here, this new bridge, which is going to be a big deal, you know. Um, yeah, the Bruin uh, family has, uh, you know, Maddie has fought it with tooth and nail. He wanted, every, to, he wanted to build a new bridge. Every, everything he had in his toolbox, mostly through litigation, but one by one, every single suit has failed. So I think it's just about time. Um, oh, Maddie is what ninety two. I think it's ninety or ninety two. It's just about time that he's ready to throw in the towel. Yeah. Um, he didn't want the new bridge built because it was going to be in direct competition with his own bridge, and the new bridge, we should say, will be, own, you know, will be publicly owned. Um, right. Actually, by the Canadian government because they're paying for it. Yeah. So. Um, that's why they're yeah. naming it after a it, hockey player. <laughs> yeah, named after a Canadian <laughs> hockey player who, uh, you know, is a Detroit icon because that's where he played. So everyone's pretty happy about that. Um, as It's just kind of a, I mean, Detroit, of all the American cities, is the only one that can really truly be called hockey town because of its proximity to Canada. So, you know, this was this is a nice... Uh, a kind of bridge between the two cultures. There we go. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, let's go to the tunnel. The other mode of transportation between Detroit and Windsor, Canada. And, you know, I'm a little bit more familiar with the tunnel. Like I said, it is located right in downtown Detroit. The Ambassador Bridge is located um, west of the city, Um, so, you know, for people who live in the Northern suburbs, like you and I, the tunnel is a little bit, uh, more convenient and, you know, it's just close to, it's right in downtown, you know, it's right there. So, um, I was surprised to learn that the tunnel opened just a year after the bridge. Yes, that's right. You know, I mean, here we are. Yeah. Roaring twenties well, again. These were basically competing things, but I mean, I don't, I don't even they thought, think they saw it as like a competition because the the uh, the growths were so phenomenal and the need was so apparent that I'm sure they were thinking that there were many ways to do this and many things that were needed. Um, so. You know, I, it, it it probably was not even seen as any kind of a competition. <laughs> I don't think so. I think, you know, a way to move people and goods back and forth across the river was just something that was so necessary at that time. Yes, right. Right. And um, there had been, of course, the uh, Michigan Central uh, train tunnel that had had uh, gone in, and earlier than that, the one you mentioned up in uh, in Sarnia. Uh, but yes, for for uh, automobile traffic, um, these two things were first, and and I think you know having the having it right downtown also made it very convenient for like a quick trip across the river. 
Um, right. It almost like really made the the two cities easily accessible. You know, Very it was easier so. to jump over to Windsor than it was to even drive out to the suburbs. You know, right. Especially so, when it was built, uh, it, it yeah. was a great economic boom for both sides. Absolutely, and and still is. Right. So, um, building a tunnel is a complicated thing underwater. Yeah, I can barely yeah. wrap my mind around it. To tell you the truth, um, but you know, people smarter than I am <laughs> know how to do this. <laughs> Uh, I, I think one of the problems they ran into at the beginning was um, they struck a pocket of sulfurous gas that made the workers oh. super sick. Um, and none of the workers would come back after that. So, you know, that was that was one of the first big problems, big digging this tunnel under the water here. Um but, you know, they kept going and uh, they put in a very elaborate ventilation system so that, um, you know, that's not going to be a problem. You know, I we would all be very upset to get sick going through the tunnel here. Um, so the tunnel was finished a year ahead of its schedule at a total cost of $23 million dollars. And was I know when you when you think about it now, it's really kind of incredible that they could do this massive project, bring it in ahead of schedule, which also happened with the bridge, and bring it in, you know, for either on budget or even below budget. It just blows my mind. It really that does. Just doesn't happen anymore. No, it really <laughs> doesn't. For sure. Yeah. And unlike the bridge, it is uh, owned by the cities of Windsor. And Detroit, and, and Detroit, yes, yeah, yeah. The real the the impetus for it was a, a Windsor man who had dreamed about a tunnel, and he had an interesting job. He was a Salvation Army captain. <laughs> yes, he worked. He was with the Salvation Army in Windsor, and his name was Fred Martin. So he was the person that really promoted the whole idea of the tunnel, and then was able to arrange funding on his side and with the Americans. So, uh, but it did take a lot of cooperation because they had to start that. They had to work on that from both sides simultaneously, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's got different, um, there's different parts to the construction because they have to start at each end. And, uh, you know, the first step is to do what they call cut and cover the, they uh, they work on both sides, and they have muckers or sand hogs that literally go in and dig out underground and move out all the dirt and rock and everything behind them. So they're basically burrowing a tunnel. And this is on land. It's before, you know, for the approach. Before you hit the water. Before you hit the water. And, you know, obviously, because you have to go down quite a ways, um, below the the floor of the the river bed uh you have to have a pretty long tunnel and uh if anyone's gone through the Detroit one they know that on the Detroit side you know you 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 do a, a whole round um kind of a cylindrical uh path downward 
So, yeah, so those were the muckers and uh, the sandhogs, and that certainly couldn't have been a pleasant job. It does not sound like they a had fun to job. Do their, they had to do their part. And um, then giant cylinders were inserted into that. Um, and uh, welded together to, you know, keep the whole thing from collapsing. And then for the, for the river part, they actually uh, dug trenches in the riverbed, deep trenches, and then by barge took giant cylinders and sunk them into the trench, Whoa. welded them together underwater, and then pumped out the water and covered it over with between four and 20 feet of mud and muck, which is the river, like the river bottom, you wouldn't see anything. But even with it down that long, there's still restrictions on uh, anchoring boats anywhere in that vicinity, just so there wouldn't be any damage. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so I mean, it, it's it's a it's a it's a real art, and uh, um, it's not only dangerous but um, really technically exacting. Um, and then, of course, there's it's it's not just a big hole; it's actually in three parts. There's the parts you drive through, but then also there's a separate uh, tunnel area underneath and a separate one overhead, and the one underneath. Um, brings in fresh air, and the one overhead takes out the stale air and exhausts it at each end um, so that you don't have any noxious gas or, you know, uh, poisonous gas down in the tunnel. Good good planning. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. it's the only underwater tunnel for automobiles that cross international borders in the entire world. Yeah. Right. You know, I uh, a few years ago took that train that goes from London over to France, you know, underneath oh, the, the, uh, tunnel, the, yeah. the tunnel. But you can't take a car in that tunnel. No, you're not driving. Nope, I mean, you're you're driving. you're on a um, uh, flatbed, right? I uh, basically mm-hmm. you're on a train. <laughs> yes, right. So right. you're the in a tunnel, right. you know, it's very dark down there. <laughs> There's nothing to see out yeah. the windows, but you're right. basically on a train. It's I think it's called the Aerostar. And, you know, it, it's a very nice kind of train and you pick it up, you get on it at the train station where you take a train anywhere else you want to go um, from London. And it was a pretty smooth, easy trip, I have to say. It was very nice. But, you know, I mean, it would have been nice if you could, drive across well can you does um do they have the ability to actually take your car on the train i'm not not? sure we we weren't traveling by car in uh england so i'm not sure about that um no i'm you know i don't know i I didn't see anything that said you know you could take well i always thought that it was just very cool and really neat to just drive into a hole in the ground i thought of this as a little kid and then to drive out 10 minutes later and be in a whole foreign country <laughs> that was somehow just really neat it is really um, neat yeah and and i liked even the trip through the tunnel you know i i'm it's I'm exciting not particularly claustrophobic and 
I I like the um, the subway tiles. I think they're beautiful. They you know? are beautiful. Those uh, those shiny white tiles. I know they've replaced them all and cleaned them all up. And I love getting to the halfway point where uh, they have a big um, unfurled American flag on one side, on the American side, and a Canadian flag, the maple leaf, on the other side. And they're like crisscrossed at the bottom. And that's the point where you're crossing the international boundary. So, you know, it's, it's just neat. It is really neat. And, you know, it's an, it, it is totally a miracle of engineering. I mean, at the time it was built, only two other tunnels were in use in the United States, the Holland Tunnel right. in New York and the George Posey Tunnel connecting. The one out in California. Yeah, out in California. Yeah. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, it is. I, I think we're really lucky to have it. I And, and it has a... Um, it has just a, a, a real kind of classic, iconic look to it, too. You know, I, I, I'm happy that they still have the, the tiles that harkens back to, uh, like, turn-of-the-century subway stations and stuff, you know? I think it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And I think, you know, more people should be encouraged to go to Windsor. I think, you know, ever since, you know, September 11th, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. there's been a little bit less, um, you know, kind of tourist travel a- across the border. Um, but I recently took a trip to Windsor and I took the bridge over and the tunnel back and had, um, Dinner in winter in the uh, Little Italy section at a wonderful restaurant yeah. called La Contessa. And, it, you know, it was charming and wonderful. And it's a foreign country and it's so close. You also took that tri- trip recently, didn't you, Ed? Over yes, there. I did. I, I did. Um, before I left for Florida, I went one day. Um, and I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take the tunnel bus, but I couldn't. The problem was I couldn't find a place to park my car in order to get on the tunnel bus. So I said, oh, heck, I'll just drive over. Um, But uh, there is a tunnel bus that um, is run by Transit Windsor. And I think it's a really great deal um, because it costs $5 um, to go across the, the, the tunnel and bridge. Well, I should say... The bridge is. Ch- I'll, I'll get to this in a minute. There's just been a change in the bridge toll, but um, the it costs five dollars. Well, that's all it costs for the tunnel bus too. So basically, you price. know, someone else is just driving you over to Windsor for free. You're not and paying the bus gas. Comes, yeah, yeah. The bus um, goes stops at a, a number of different downtown stops. Stops at the Rosa Parks uh, Transit Center. Um, it stops at Cobo Hall, it stops at Campus Martius, uh, and then it also stops um, whenever there are special buses that make stops whenever there's a home game or a concert at any of the big venues like Comerica or uh, Little Caesars. Um, so, you know, that or Comerica Park. So that's that's really you know, convenient. That especially for Windsor residents who want to come over and 
Not yeah, drive, yeah, and it goes right the to the Windsor Transit right. Station, and then you can transfer to any other Windsor lines within two hours, I think, with no extra charge. So, uh, you know, and, and get around, like, if you were going out to Walkerville or out to some of the nice parks, like, um, um, there's one park out on Tecumseh that's just beautiful, that has this amazing rose garden and uh, it's called Jackson Park, and uh, or if you were going down toward Amherstburg or anything, um, the Windsor area is really, really nice. And um, as you've mentioned, it's a little bit different feeling than Detroit. It has, at least in the past, it's had more of a European feel. It's sort of like you're in a, a mid-sized European town, uh, and there's something very nice about that. It's, it's also very international, uh, lots of languages spoken. Uh, you, it, it's familiar and yet, um, it seems a little different too. A little, a little more exotic, sophisticated. So. You know, it's got kind of a European flair, a little bit of a European sophistication. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, some of their restaurants are just fabulous because they have, um, uh, a number of, uh, immigrants that have settled there and, and established wonderful restaurants. There's um, along Erie Street. There's like where you went. There's Little Italy, which has just terrific, um, authentic in, uh, Italian cooking. Out University. There's a, a whole kind of Chinatown section with uh, with really great Chinese and uh, Southeast Asian restaurants. So yeah, it's definitely worth one's while. And uh, one thing that's really fun to do that uh, our listeners might be interested in in the, in the summer, there's the thing called the Buskers Festival, which is uh, the old English tradition of uh, street performers. And there's just hundreds of them. They're everywhere. And uh, some of these people are really talented. It's always amusing. And it's all, all, all over downtown and along the riverfront. So, yeah, Windsor's a good place to go. And, and uh, the tunnel and... Uh, the tunnel bus is a good way to get there. So, yeah, yeah. but I, I did that. I, I took the uh, I took the tunnel over. I had some um, uh, some Vietnamese food, and then I drove back across the bridge. So, it's a fun day. You know, this may be another topic for Comeback City, Windsor, our yeah very lovely neighbor to the south, which sounds crazy because. Sounds think, crazy, yeah. <laughs> think of Canada as to the north, but Detroiters actually travel south to get to Windsor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, uh, that would be a real good one to do. I would enjoy doing the research for that. Yeah, so. absolutely. That Buskers there's Festival there's alone sounds great. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think we've done a pretty good job on, you know, kind of going into the history of the bridge and tunnel, something that we're just so used to here in Detroit. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it, they're just iconic. We don't even think about them. You know, it, it, you know, we think we might ask, are we going to take the bridge or the tunnel if we go to Windsor? But we don't really think about how they got there or who designed them or who who initiated the effort to build these, you know, magnificent uh, marvels of engineering. So, right. um, yeah, uh, you know. Now, 
now, it, now it's it's going to be very interesting in the next few years to see what happens with the Gordy Howe Bridge, <clears throat> and to see how that affects the the traffic on the other two. Um, of course, you know, Matty Maroon uh, and his family have fought the the new bridge, the Gordy Howe proposal, um, tooth and nail, and they've lost all their battles in court. The last one that looked like really kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was they had sued um, <clears throat> to stop to, they were supposed, there was this whole gateway thing where they, the Maroons were supposed to put in so much money uh, to uh, build it for their Amex store that they own on the Detroit side and to tie it into the freeway system. And they were using it as a bargaining chip. And withholding it, um, you know, as a bargaining chip in in getting the other bridge killed, and um, the uh, the courts said no, that's not going to happen. And in fact, Maddie Maroon himself and uh, Dan Stamper, his chief operating assistant, were thrown in jail. <laughs> so here was this ninety year old in a uh, in a green jumpsuit, mm. but uh, overnight, but. Um, in any event, that, that looks like it's, it's, um, they're done with their protests. Now, interestingly enough, Justin Trudeau, after fighting it all the way along, has now said that they, the Canadian government would allow him to build a second, a, uh, a second span for the ambassador bridge. And, uh, Manny Maroon has said, oh, but, but then the Canadian government said, but if he does that, he would have to tear down the old one because it's, it's you know, really old and probably is getting near the end of its lifespan. And that might be a problem because uh, it's a nas- national historic site on the American side. So they might run into legal battles there. I don't know where that's going to go. Maybe only half but of the does, bridge. <laughs> yeah. It does look down. like the new Gordy Howe Bridge is going to be built. And, of course, that's that's another beautiful kind of bridge because it's um, it's the kind of bridge that's become very popular now. It's called a stayed cable bridge. Mm. And uh, you see it if you, um, for instance, go down I-75 through um, Toledo. You'll go over a small one over the Maumee River. There's an iconic one that goes over uh, the, the uh, Charles River in Boston. But um, it has one or two big towers. I think they look kind of like giant clothespins. <laughs> uh, and then the cables, instead of um, being going straight down horizontally from the cables that stretch from, from, the, from each tower, uh, they go directly from the um, the towers and angle down like a fan. They're fanned out, and that's what it's going to look like. Interesting. And, um, they are they're really gorgeous, <laughs> and that, especially if they're lit up at night. I mean, I can only imagine. That sounds lovely. I I know the Ambassador Bridge is so pretty at night, all lit up. Mm-hmm. So, this right. is, yeah, this will really kind of change. Um, the look of the river for us, but, uh, it, it will now, you know, on the sad side, it's going to wipe out the, the area that, um, the iconic neighborhood called Del Rey, 
I mean, it's been impoverished. It's It's been struggling. They had wanted to make a comeback, and now, you know, kind of reminiscent of the <laughs> of I-75 wiping out, you know, the black bottom and everything in Paradise Valley. Uh, this whole neighborhood's going to be kind of gone because they need all this real estate for the bridge approach and for the um, for the customs area and all of that. So I don't know. There's there's preservationists that are not happy about it, although. I think Michigan is trying, and Detroit is trying to make the best deal they can. Uh, they'll offer to uh, relocate these people um, in a different part of the city, or um, actually, may perhaps move their house out of the way of construction. So, um, I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but it does. You know, anytime you have a huge construction project like this, it's always going to be disrupt somebody. There's always going to be winners and losers. Yeah, you're right. All righty. Well, thank you all for joining us on our journey again into Detroit's past, present, and future. Um, I'd once again like to give a shout out to Tim Brohart for our great music and Katie Bates for our beautiful logo. And uh, we invite you all to explore the Comeback City. Mm-hmm. 